through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. New Testament reading taken, this is the New Testament reading taken from Acts 10, 9 through 33. The next day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out and asked whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down to them and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason of your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. And the next day, they arose, he arose and went away with them. And some of the, of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And in the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Sending, send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who was called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have commanded by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Simon. Simon deserves some extra points for, for that extra long reading today. I appreciate that. That's some difficult city words in there as well. Um, well, it is my privilege to introduce to you our guest speaker here. Uh, for those of you who are new, uh, we are celebrating our missions month this month, an opportunity for us to hear from 
our missions partners and missionaries um, and, and preaching on Sundays and as well as after service. So after service today, um, we'll get to hear from our local missions partner, uh, Katie Espy. Katie, could you stand for everyone and just acknowledge Katie? Could we all just uh, give her a She'll be, uh, she'll be talking a little bit about her work in Young Life in Howard County, um, but uh, preaching for us today is a familiar friend, uh, Jacob. Uh, Jacob grew up in Jakarta, Indonesia, and traveled to Louisiana to pursue his MBA at Southeastern Louisiana University, uh, where God called him to international, uh, the need to reach international students with the gospel. So he graduated uh, from Liberty Theological Seminary, uh, uh, receiving uh, his master's in uh, Christian leadership in 2008. Uh, he worked for nine years as the director of Briarwood International Outreach and Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama, one of the founding churches of the PCA. Uh, and during his time there, he completed his MDiv at Birmingham Theological Seminary and was ordained in the PCA, uh, where he subsequently moved to Baltimore and started an RUF International Campus Ministry at Johns Hopkins University in the fall of 2018. Jacob is here with his wife, Pei, and we are so grateful to have him to come again and preach to us. So uh, could we all please welcome Jacob Yassin. Thank you, John, and good morning, church. We want to thank you for your prayers, for your support for REF International at Johns Hopkins. Um, John asked me to, to preach about ministry to immigrants this morning. So I'll test that in general and, and um, more specifically talking about ministry to international students as also John uh, asked me to do that in one sermon. So ministry to immigrants and ministry to international students in one sermon. Uh, before I moved to Baltimore about five years ago, uh, while I was still in Birmingham, Alabama, I met an international student um, in my previous campus ministry that's at UAB, University of Alabama in Birmingham. Uh, she did not believe in God. Um, she came to visit church with me and came to our Bible study for a few times, uh, not consistent. Uh, but by God's grace, after I left Birmingham and moved to Baltimore to uh, start REF International at Johns Hopkins, other Christians continued to reach out to her. And she finally put her faith in Christ and became a Christian. And she recently, so she finished her PhD and recently moved to uh, New Jersey for a job uh, and she told me her story in email how she became a Christian so receiving her email um, made me so happy we never know how and when the seed of the gospel that we plant in people's heart will one day take root and bear fruit and in God's perfect timing uh, in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 to 20 our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has given us the great commissions. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then he also said this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, 10 days after Jesus Christ gave this great commission, the Holy Spirit filled and empowered 
the disciples in a special way on Pentecost Day. Which was about three weeks ago, we, we had Pentecost Sunday. So, so at the Pentecost, the disciples were specially filled with the power of the Holy Spirit for the first fulfillment of Christ's great commission. It was the first gospel proclamations to people of all nations right after Christ's great commissions. And I want to show you this. So let's turn your Bible to Acts chapter 2, and we will come back to chapter 10. But let's read Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rising wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are all filled with new wine. So in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, what we see is that the Holy Spirit was preparing the hearts and minds of the disciples for a great and mighty work that God was about to do. After receiving the great commissions from Christ, the disciples gathered for 10 days to pray, 10 days of prayer meeting. And then the Holy Spirit was preparing their hearts and minds. Now when they were ready at the end of the 10 days, He came and He filled them in a special way to do great gospel proclamation for the first fulfillment of Christ's great commissions. Now at the same time, the Holy Spirit was also preparing the hearts of the people whom he would effectually call to saving faith in Christ. So the Holy Spirit prepares God's people who will bring the gospel, the speakers, and the Holy Spirit also prepares the people who will listen and receive the gospel, the listeners. The Holy Spirit prepares the sowers who will plant the seeds of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit prepares the good soil, the good hearts of the people who will receive the seeds of the gospel that will take root and bear fruit at God's perfect timing. So who were there in Jerusalem here in Acts chapter 2? They were celebrating the Pentecost. What does Luke say in, in verse 5? Now Luke tells us that Jews, devout men from every nation, 
under heaven. Now, in the Greek language, Pentecost means 50. And in the Old Testament, it refers to the 50 days after the Passover. So the Jews were celebrating the Old Covenant Pentecost. 50 days earlier, they were celebrating the Old Covenant Passover, not knowing that that Passover festival was the last Old Covenant Passover because Jesus Christ ended and fulfilled it by sacrificing himself as the true Lamb of God once and for all. And he instituted the Lord's Supper, the new covenant Passover, on the night he had supper with his disciples before he was arrested. So likewise, that Pentecost festival in Acts chapter 2 was the last old covenant Pentecost that the Jews were celebrating. The new covenant Pentecost would begin. And Luke tells us that there were in Jerusalem Jewish people from every nation under heaven to celebrate the Pentecost. Although not all nations were there literally, but they were there representatively. Luke includes in his list descendants of all the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, from whom we all come from. So Luke is giving us a table of the nations here in Acts chapter 2 comparable to the one in Genesis 10. Luke is saying to us that on that day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, the whole world was there in the representatives of the different nations. So the Holy Spirit gathered a multitude from different nations to hear the gospel in languages that each person could understand. The Holy Spirit empowered Peter to bring great gospel proclamations. And we can read Peter's sermons beginning verse 14. Now what was the result after Peter preached the gospel? How many people were saved? In verse 4, 41, Luke tells us that 3,000 people trusted their life to Christ on that day. In verse 42 to 47, we see the birth of the new covenant church of Jesus Christ. The church members devoted themselves to the apostle teaching, fellowship, and prayers. And the church was a vibrant church in the community, and the Holy Spirit kept bringing people to saving faith in Christ, and the church kept growing. Now, this is a multiracial and multinational church that points to the kingdom of Christ that will be fulfilled. As God told us in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before Christ. So this first church of Jesus Christ is a glimpse of heaven, a church of all nations worshiping together. Now back in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit was teaching Peter to another level. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit used Peter to bring many Jewish people from, from every nation to Christ. Different nationalities, but the same ethnicities. They were Jewish. In chapter 10, the Holy Spirit wanted P Peter to personally share the gospel to Cornelius and his family and friends, people who were from a different nationality and ethnicity. 
So who is Cornelius? In Acts chapter 10, verse 1, Luke tells us that he was a Roman centurion, a commander of 100 soldiers, known as the Italian cohort. Verse 2 tells us that he was devout. He feared God with all his household, and he generously gave alms or charity to people. And he prayed regularly to God. He was a good man and a religious man. Then a vision, an angel of God appeared to him and told him to send men to find Peter in the city of Joppa and, and to bring Peter to his house. So you see that the Holy Spirit prepared the listener and his heart to receive the gospel. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit also prepared the speaker, his heart and mind, to share the gospel. How did the Holy Spirit prepare and train Peter's heart and mind? It's through a vision. And how did Peter do in his training in the vision? It is rather an interesting one, isn't it? You have many kids here. I see a lot of kids this morning. Now, how many times have you asked your kids to eat something good and your kids say, no, I don't want to eat that. So let's look at Peter's visions closely here. In Acts chapter 10, verse 12, tell us that God gave Peter a vision of all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air and asked Peter to kill and eat them. And Peter said to God, No, I don't want to eat those things. They are unclean. In the Old Covenant, through Moses, God told the people of Israel not to eat certain animals. Eating those animals will make them religiously unclean. Now, in the New Covenant, God has allowed all food to be consumed by us. Peter himself had actually learned about this directly from Jesus Christ. Jesus had taught him before. Jesus said to him in Matthew 15, verse 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. This is actually a great verse that you can share with some Muslims. So Jesus had taught Peter about all food can be consumed. Now, it was just they had never actually eaten animals that were religiously unclean when Jesus was with them. Uh, they, they couldn't buy it in, in a Jewish market. Uh, nobody will sell unclean animals for food, and nobody will buy. So when God showed these unclean animals in a vision to Peter and asked him to eat them, he won't do it. How did God react to Peter in this vision? How did God handle Peter? God is like a super patient father who said to his son, Come on, son, come and eat. These are okay and clean to eat. But Peter refused again. And how many times did God ask Peter to eat those meat and was being very patient to Peter? Three times. And three times Peter still refused. So imagine, fathers, that you ask your son three times to eat something and he still refused to eat. 
the first time you, you kindly say to your son, son, come and eat. And then your son replies, no, I don't want to eat those things. I want a cheeseburger. <laughs> and the second time you are still being patient and try to persuade more, come on, son, come and eat. We have lobster, fried catfish, shrimp scampi, barbecue pork. These are all good stuff from good restaurants. And then your son replies, no, I don't want to eat those things. I want a cheeseburger from McDonald's. <laughs> now, what will your third attempt sound like? I dare not to imagine. So happy Father's Day for you. <laughs> but God, being a perfectly patient father, he didn't raise his voice to Peter. You might. God did not. He simply told Peter to eat, and Peter still refused. And then God left him alone and left him hungry. God didn't get a cheeseburger for Peter. <laughs> what else happened to Peter three times? First, he denied knowing Jesus for three, for three times. And then second, after the resurrection, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him three times. So when something happened to Peter three times, it is a fixed certainty. And this is the third time that Peter experienced a three-time situation with the Almighty God. It means that the Lord is teaching Peter something very, very important, something very serious, that God wants Peter to get this in his heart, in his mind, and become part of his DNA. And then what happens? Verse 17 tells us that Peter was confused and he was processing the meaning of this vision and at the same time he was hungry. He didn't get a cheeseburger. And then people sent by Cornelius arrived at his house and explained to Peter that Cornelius had a vision from God to bring Peter to his house and to hear what Peter would say to them. Now we need to understand that, that the bringing of the gospel to the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, who had been strangers and foreigners for the Jews, to be fellow citizens, it was such a mystery to the apostles themselves. And therefore it was such a surprise for Peter right here. Now what did Peter do for this man? Verse 23. So these men were Gentiles and religiously unclean people according to the old covenant ceremonial law. But verse 23 tells us Peter, he invited them to be, to be what? His guests. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa also accompanied him. So, so what does this mean? He invited them to stay over his house. And of course, he provided dinner and breakfast for them. He offered them hospitality without hesitation. He provided dinner and breakfast, and he ate together with these unclean Gentiles. And he began to do cross-cultural ministry. 
This was Peter's first experience in cross-cultural, global, and local missions. He hosted international travelers in his house. So my sermon title this morning is Glocal Missions. Glocal means global and local missions. Did Peter learn from the vision that God gave him? Yes, he knew what God was teaching him through the vision. He will not refuse being together, eating, and staying under the same roof with the unclean Gentiles. The next day, Peter went with them to Cornelius' house. And once he arrived on the following day, Peter explained the gospel to Cornelius and his family and his friends. We can read this from verse 34 through verse 43. And then in verse 44, Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the gospel. The Holy Spirit did not hesitate to dwell in the Gentiles, in the Gentiles, Cornelius and his family and friends, as he did with the Jewish Christians. And at the end of chapter 10, Luke tells us that Cornelius asked Peter to stay at his house for some days, and Peter did. So this time, Cornelius offered hospitality to Peter and some of the brothers who accompanied Peter. And they all had meal together, Jews and Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit was with them, creating a bond as one family of God. So what can we learn about global missions, global and local missions from this interaction between God, Peter, and Cornelius? So here are some life applications. Number one, God brings internationals to our city to accomplish his global mission. God brings internationals to our city to accomplish his global missions. God has a purpose to bring Cornelius from Rome to Caesarea, Israel. Caesarea is near Nazareth, Jesus' hometown. It's, it's between Samaria and Galilee. If Cornelius stay in Rome, he might not be able to learn about the gospel. God purposefully brought him from Rome to Israel. And likewise, God brings many internationals to America where they can learn about the gospel. And for some internationals whose families and societies have different religions, either Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, or communism and atheism, they may not have opportunities to learn about Christ and the gospel in their home countries as they can here. Or their, ch their chance to learn about the gospel is restricted. It's limited in their home countries than here in America in the land of the free. So God purposefully brought many internationals to America so that they can learn about Christ and the gospel. Today there are over 45 million immigrants in the U.S., or over 13% of total populations of over 330 million. Now about half of the 45 million immigrants have become U.S. citizens, so including my wife and I, and the other half are considered temporary residents. And I will come to this meaning, being temporary residents. 
in addition to this, there are over one million international students at university campuses. Many internationals come here for a better life or a better education, and many of them receive the seeds of the gospel in their hearts during their time here in the U.S., including my wife, Pei, who became a Christian in Alabama. And when Pei's parents visited her from China to Alabama, Pei introduced her to Chinese Christians to them. And they were greatly impacted. And later, when Pei moved to uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, and taught at Liberty University, her parents came to visit her again and stay for, for several months. And Pei brought them to a local Chinese church and introduced Chinese Christians to them. And before her parents went back to China, they decided to be Christians and be baptized here. Many internationals become Christians during their stay in the U.S. And several of my international students have become Christians. One of them, who is from India, from a Hindu background, became a Christian during, during my ministry in Alabama. And he is now a pastor in North Carolina. So God had a purpose to bring Cornelius from Rome to Israel, and God has the same purpose for bringing many internationals to America and to our city right here. He wants to use us to plant the seeds of the gospel in their hearts that will take root and bear fruit in his perfect timing for his glory. Number two, how we treat internationals around us may have long-term or even eternal impact. How we treat internationals around us may have long-term or even eternal impact. There are two kinds of impacts, a bad one and a good one. So let me first share stories of the bad ones. In 1920, so it's about 100 years ago, Matsuoki from Japan, a guy from Japan, came to America as an international student. But unfortunately, he was mistreated by the American students, and he was very angry. His experience living in the U.S. was not a good one. He returned to Japan, and 20 years later, he helped plan the attack on Pearl Harbor. In 1950s, Mengisto Mariam from Ethiopia, so, so a guy from Ethiopia, arrived in Aberdeen, Maryland. Where is Maryland? Right here, our state. As an international student for military training. He was not treated well by Americans and became very resentful. He went back to Ethiopia and over time he rose to a position of power in the military and became a key figure in a coup against the king of Ethiopia in 1974. And then he established a Marxist government in Ethiopia and he expelled all Christian missionaries from Ethiopia and he called Christianity as an alien religion. He closed churches and he began to, to persecute Christians in Ethiopia. And all of this because he had a bad experience during his stay in the U.S. However, things can be different if local Christians reach out and show Christian love to internationals. 
God has purposefully brought many internationals in the U.S. for an eternal relationship with him. And many will be used for the work of his kingdom in different ways. Like the one one of my former international student who is a pastor now teaching and preaching the gospel in North Carolina. Here is a great story. Ba Singh. Ba Singh is a guy came from India to study engineer in Canada as an international student. And during Christmas break, Ba had no place to go. While working out in a local gym, he met an old man and he was struck by the peaceful face of the old man. The elderly man was a Christian and he invited Ba to spend Christmas with him and his wife at his house. And through their hospitality and friendship, Ba eventually became a Christian. And Bach returned to India not only as an engineer, but also as an evangelist. And he started a Christian ministry. And as a result of his faithful ministry, over 700 churches have been planted in India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and Nepal. And here is one of the, one of the story here. Prem Predan from Nepal was an officer in the Nepali Air Force. Prem. He was stationed for a short time in India. So he came from Nepal to India. While in India, Bah Singh came to his military base and shared the gospel. And then Prem was converted and returned to Nepal and he became an evangelist. And he was known as the Apostle of Nepal. In 1950s, there were just a handful of Christians in Nepal. And today, there are over 100,000 Christians. Prem ministry had a great impact to the spread of the gospel in Nepal because Prem was impacted by Bach, and Bach was impacted by an elderly local Christian couple who showed him Christian love and hospitality. So here, number three, Christian hospitality is very important in global missions. Christian hospitality is very important in global, in global and local missions. We see from the text, Peter invited Cornelius' men to stay over at his house. He provided meal for them, and he showed Christian love and hospitality. Peter later wrote and told Christians to practice hospitality in 1 Peter 4, verse 9. The apostle Paul put hospitality as a qualification for church leadership in Titus 1, verse 8. And Paul told Christians in Romans 12, verse 13 to seek to show hospitality. The writer of Hebrews also reminds believers not to neglect showing hospitality in Hebrews 13, verse 2. And in our Bible, the Greek word for hospitality is philozenia combining two words, phileo and xenos. Phileo is the word for love for people who are connected by kinship. And xenos means strangers. Philoxenia or hospitality literally means love for strangers. So biblical hospitality is love for the strangers. It is grace that transforms strangers into friends. And this usually happens at homes. 
the practice of hospitality usually includes providing and eating meals together. In table fellowship, having meal and conversation together is how we recognize the equal value and dignity of the person as the image of God. And when Peter offered hospitality to Cornelius' men for one night, it prepared him to stay at Cornelius' house for several days. God was teaching and preparing Peter for local missions. There is also a mutual blessing in hospitality. The person who receives hospitality receives a blessing, and the person who gives hospitality receives more blessing than what they give. And remember this, that whenever you partake in the Lord's Supper, you are coming to the Lord's table. It is his table, and he is inviting you to come to his table. He shows you his hospitality, and he spiritually nourishes you as you come and eat at his table. As you take the bread and the cup from his table, he blesses you. So do the same to others. Number four, reaching local internationals is very strategic for local missions. Reaching local internationals is very strategic for global missions. Who was Cornelius? He was a centurion, a leader. So think about the kind of impact he will have on the people who work for him or with him. This is why verse 27 tells us that many people had gathered at his house before Peter came. Many international students represent the top 5% of their nation's brightest people. They are future global leaders in many fields, including politics, business, medical, engineer, science, and technology. The current Prime Minister of Canada was a former international student in the U.S. The current King of Jordan and King of Nepal were former international students in the U.S. The former President of El Salvador, the former Prime Minister of Germany, and the former Prime Minister of Malaysia were all former international students in the U.S. And the list goes on and on. The former Minister of Economics of Italy was a former international student at Johns Hopkins. The former Minister of Health of Canada and the former Minister of Commerce of Saudi Arabia were all former international students at Johns Hopkins. And the list goes on and on. Do you see that, that reaching international students locally is very strategic for global missions? If we win the hearts, for in, the hearts of international students to Christ today, world missions will take care of itself tomorrow. They will bring the gospel to their countries and influence many people. There was an international student from Thailand who became a Christian during, the, during his stay in the U.S. And then he returned to Thailand and he worked as a university president and started a Christian's outreach center on his campus. Reaching international students locally is very strategic for global mission because international students are far more open and have more access to the gospel while living in the United States. And you can be a missionary without leaving your home, without the need to leave your family and friends, without the need to learn another language and culture. 
international students know English and often desire to make friends with Americans. University campuses across the United States have become great mission field for the gospel and for global missions. Number five, reaching local internationals remind us that we are all one family of Christ and are temporary residents of this world. Reaching local internationals remind us that we are all one family of Christ and are temporary residents of this world. God told the people of Israel in Leviticus 19.34, You shall treat the strangers who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And this is God's calling for his covenant people, both in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. In the, new, in the Old Covenant, God reminded the people of Israel that there were also strangers and foreigners in the land of Egypt. In the New Covenant, God made it clear to all his people that in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, we are all brothers and sisters, one family. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And because we belong to God's kingdom, we are simply sojourners, temporary residents in this world. Our house here is temporary. Our work is temporary. Our permanent home is in heaven with Christ. And Peter got this right. He said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he calls all the believers as sojourners and exiles in this world. And Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Reaching local internationals help us fix our eyes on our permanent home in heaven. It helps us focus on what matters the most, which is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. As Jesus Christ has said in Matthew 6, 23, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Reaching local international help us focus on on Christ's great commissions and be part of his missions to gather all his people from all nations to himself. And Jesus Christ will not rest until all that the Father has given him come to him in saving faith. And he's offering his hand to you and asking you, will you join me to gather all my people in all nations? So let us say to our Savior, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me and guide me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your saving grace for us. Thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for the punishment of all our sins as our substitute. Thank you that in your Son, Jesus Christ, we have a new life and an eternal life with you. Help us see your love for us deeply and help us share your love to others around us. Use us for the work of your kingdom in this world, locally and globally. And Father, guide us as a church 
And may we honor and glorify you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.